Welcome to the Be In Cyber podcast. I'm Rosie Anderson, and today's guest is Rob Newby, CISO and Program Security Director currently for National Grass Transmission. He's going to talk to us today about his career, how he got to C Suite, and the lessons he's learned along the way. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the episode. So today we've got Rob Newby joining us and talking to us about what it's like to be a CISO. Thank you so much for joining us on the BN Cyber podcast, Rob. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. So tell me, tell me about your career, Rob. How did you get into cyber all those many moons ago? I'll take that as a, a compliment, I think. How did I get into it? I, to- I totally by mistake. I, I fell into it. I was. I've moved home. God, you're making me think about when I was in my early twenties. This is a real struggle for me. I'd, I'd been living in London. I'd done operator level roles, so just IT roles. And I moved home uh, because my dad was ill. My aunt was the careers officer at Southampton University. And she said, come and put your CV on our database, which I duly did. And a couple of weeks later, I got an approach from someone up the road who was setting up a a security reseller. And it was in the really kind of early days of the internet becoming the World Wide Web and, you know, all of the, the only real technologies that were out there that people sold in any considered security were firewalls pretty much Mm -hmm. so whenever i said i worked in security people would say oh what firewalls on that and i'd say not really because it was the only thing we didn't sell actually we were selling secure id so two-factor authentication and encipher cards which are the hardware security modules so mainly to defense then yeah 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 totally that that side of it and it was that actually, because it was hardware security modules, that actually led me much to, more towards looking at the data side of things, the data security, which you say it now and people go, well, isn't all security about securing data? And it's like, yeah, it is. But back then, we thought it was all about securing networks. Yeah. And we didn't really think about it as being, you know, you were either network security or you were probably software security. and And that was people developing code securely nobody really talked about data security at that point and it was considered quite a big move towards data security when everyone's talking about data-centric security it was it was you know wow we hadn't thought about it like this before but because i'd worked with hardware security modules these encipher cards i got involved with a company called ingrian who made what were essentially big routing boxes and they then went on to create part of that routing was encrypting database data on the fly that meant that i was part of this kind of data centric security movement as it became and then i got picked up by another data encryption company called Formetric. and from there I got picked up by a company in Spain who was setting up uh, a new, they were trying to set up a data integrity product. And because I was one of the few people who'd had a lot of experience in encryption in both databases and flat files, Mm -hmm. they actually headhunted me, picked me out and said, right, would you like to come and join us in Barcelona and head up product management for this company? And it was, it was an absolute no brainer. I was living in, I think I'd moved out by that point. I was living with my then girlfriend uh, in a little flat. I was working in Basingstoke and I looked out the window on a rainy grey day in Basingstoke and I was offered a job in Barcelona and I was like, "Hmm, Yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, uh, we then got married and very quickly moved to Barcelona a couple of months later and uh, stayed out there for a year with it, and that was a fantastic time to go there. No kids, you know, no no responsibilities really. Just yeah. me and my wife out there in the very early days of being married, and we had a fantastic time. What was it like working in Barcelona compared to sort of the UK? Is it is it very similar? Amazing. Obviously, the weather's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's much hotter. I, I mean, the work is is much the same. I think I was, I mean, I've always been a 
a bit of a, a self-starter. I, I think one of the things that I did early in my career was kind of look around and wait to be told to do something. And I realized pretty early on that nobody really has an idea of how to do things and everybody's looking at someone else to do it. So if you just go and try something, your chances are you'll get it kind of 80% right. I went out there and was asked to head up this department and it was product management. And I just like, well, I've never done that before, but I'm going to have a go at it. I, I realized that you have to do kind of inbound and outbound, which is looking at the marketing on the outbound side and the product on the inbound side. So I split it into those two areas and started building up people on both sides. And it unfortunately became quite, clear pretty quickly that what we had wasn't really going to be a viable product but it was a, a feature and what it was was very fast chaining of data to so you would use the hash of the piece of data before and to salt the hash of the next one if you know about data data hashing but it's usually a relatively slow process you normally take big lumps of data and you'll make a hash of it and then you get a small bit of data out and then you can verify that that data was what it was originally when it went in this was using very small bits of data and using small hashes as it came out and just chaining them all together and in 2007 nobody wanted to do this if you roll forwards 10 15 years what happened was mm -hmm. blockchain um so you had all these crypto things coming out onto the market crypto coins and uh, bitcoin obviously exploded and then i think pretty much every company in the world at one point tried to make a product out of blockchain and if you look at it i think you know hundreds of companies have tried to do something with it big ones as well ibm pwc all, all, the, all the big SIs have had to, had a go at trying to make a product out of blockchain. And the conclusions they've come to, one after the other, is that there's two parts to, to blockchain. There's a distributed ledger and there's the, the actual blockchain, which is this chaining of, of data. And the distributed ledger actually takes trust out of transactions. So you've got anonymous people providing a, a verification that a transaction was correct and business relies on trust so they've looked at that and they've gone oh we can't really use this and thrown that bit out and then they look at what's left which is blockchain and they go this is really slow what we need is something that does this much faster and they're talking about what we were doing back in 2007 and that's exactly what it was so I'm sitting there kicking myself going I was we were there and this is one of the the big sadnesses of products is it doesn't matter if you've got the greatest idea in the world. If you're too late or too early to market, you won't, you won't hit it. And, you know, I learned a really harsh but valuable lesson really early on. Because it wasn't there, I moved back home. We moved back to Winchester and then started a family pretty quickly after that. So have therefore been tied to the house, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> Stuck at home with three little boys now, and so yeah, it's it's been interesting. But that's actually, again, when you have kids, it becomes more about how can I support these these little yeah, expensive things. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that has actually propelled me more towards the the consultancy side, and I've been in consultancy for. 12, 13 years now. You've worked some amazing places. Like if we go through sort of your, your career, you've worked Vodafone, you've worked yep. Aviva. It's Aviva, yep. isn't it? Yeah. It like is. Some yep. really, really big some companies. Big, big enterprises, yeah. Yeah. All different sectors. So Vodafone was actually where I feel like the second half of my career really started. I'd, I was working for um, a guy called Steve Cottrell, who is a, a brilliant guy. He's a CISO as well. And he, he's been there kind of throughout the senior part of my career. And he's really what started me off. I was an architect in his wider team. And everybody in that team has gone on to do amazing things, you know, really 
in their own specialisms, but really fantastic stuff. Uh, and they're all really smart people, all self-starters, all knew what they were doing. And I, we could, you know, we interacted really well. It was it's a bit of a boys' club, to be honest, but it, it was really nice. It, everybody was really got on well. Uh, and it meant that I learned a huge amount from other people. And those people mm-hmm. have ended up either taking me into other places or I've taken them into other places and it's come become a bit of a roundabout and it's really you know I I could any job that I've been in since Vodafone I I can trace back to Mm -hmm. Vodafone so where I am now the person who put me in touch with the CISO there so I'm I'm program director at National Gas at the moment so it's a huge program they're separating from National Grid lots of complexity in there the person who put me in touch with the CISO there was the guy who came in as my permanent replacement and he was the UK CISO at Vodafone before he left so there's there's always a a link (laughs) there's I think that network's so important, though, and actually, if you've got a good team working together, you're going to want to work with them again. Yes, a lot of the time. And you've been particularly a contractor as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Having that contract network is, you know, sometimes it will be recruiters getting you jobs, but, yeah, it's really important to, I suppose, keep, keep those alliances and friendships and, you know, not burn any bridges when you leave anywhere. I, I, well... I hopefully wouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> but screw you all, I'm off. It's tempting sometimes. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think I, I'm, I'm still in touch with all of those people. I've got a WhatsApp group with, with that, that original bunch of people I was with at Vodafone, and we're still on it now. The lost boys of cyberspace. <laughs> we still talk to each other about random stuff that comes up. I think. I think what it does highlight is that nobody has the answer to everything. And that's something that I think, again, I realized probably too late, but in my senior career, again, it's like you often find when I earlier in my career, I often found that I was reticent to ask questions. And I, I wouldn't ask them because I felt silly. Now I'll ask every question under the sun, even if I'm sure it's silly, because I want other people on that call to know what the answer is. Even if I know it, I'll ask the question because I want it to be obvious to everyone. And there's something so important about everybody being on the same page. And that's the first thing I did when I went into my current role was there was a big complicated program and a plan up on a wall somewhere in a zero sheets and a bunch of people all running around like headless chickens who were supposed to be my program and I I don't know what you're doing and I don't know what that means and I, okay right like everybody come here this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it and then redid the plan and I've just had that republished and it's all gone green everybody on the ground knows what they're doing they're all delivering to that actual plan now and it's like yeah why has that happened well because we're all pushing in the same direction we're not all trying our best to do this to do the right thing but actually everybody's working against each other because they can't see having that clear target operating model clear strategy that everyone's working to is so important within any business whether that's cyber or uh, cyber strategy or sales strategy isn't it Mm. and it's it's not that difficult as well that's the thing that's the secret that I don't want anyone to know because otherwise I you know I I don't get the contract (laughs) but um I actually had another consultant say that to me we had a consultant consultancy in because they want to find out about cyber security within the wider business and the guy came in and he said what are you working on at the moment I said well what I'm trying to do is get my secure by design requirements into the wider IT delivery framework and I showed him the spreadsheet I'd been working on big big thing loads of different requirements artifacts documents in there and he said yeah but 
And it's not really very difficult, is it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> it means, well, like, actually, no, it's not that difficult. You're, yeah, you're right. But uh, what what's difficult is making sure that everybody understands what it means, mm-hmm. what it's for, why it's there. So now I've got that. I'm having to write a presentation about it and go, you know, have meetings with all of the sea level in the tech side and then everybody else in the delivery side. And it's who you're affecting. You've got to tell them yeah. why you're doing it and you can have why it's going to make their life I easier. I suppose it's back to that product. If you have a plan but no one knows about it, there's no point having a plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. No, no, absolutely right. Be able to to see where everybody's heading, um, and it, it's it is still one of the hardest things to do is to show everyone what what's in your head yeah. and what you mean by it. Um, and I've had that. So one of the things we we're going to talk about is what I did during lockdown, setting up my own company, and that the reason I did that was because as a CISO. I couldn't get a mental picture of what my whole estate looked like at any one time. So I wanted to have this product which would tell me where my controls were, what they were doing, what state they were in, what maturity level, where the gaps were, what program issues I might have to uh, to deal with that. Um, and we started getting the requirements down. So that was about getting that picture sorted. And I sat in this room here, the one I'm in now, and discussed with my co-founder what we were going to do. And we had a, we'd worked together on it, and we had a really clear view of what we were going to do. And we wrote out pages and pages. I've still got them in a drawer somewhere, stuck to the walls. So, so we wrote pages of these things about what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. And we had a really clear idea. Found a developer, sent him all of these well-documented requirements, and the thing that came back first time out of gates was nothing like what we'd asked for and it's like ah, you know roll forward a couple of years and we're actually re-releasing the tool now um in september and what it's been instead is instead of that get everything down at once and then blah it's very small you know, regular yeah. check-ins and I'll have half an hour here and half an hour there just talking to the developer and saying not like that like this not just you know change that slightly do this you know that's not working ditch it I did that yesterday with him uh, trying to represent an enormous framework so starting with the top level of business down to bottom level of controls so you can have levels and levels and levels within it so up to kind of eight to ten levels in this thing but we only want one or two levels at a time represented on the page. And it gets, you know, the first level could be one, then it could be five, and then five more in each. So by the time you get to the bottom, it's vast numbers of these controls. But you only- And is this against each security control then, or each framework? or It will be in future. At the moment, we're doing it mm-hmm. against the cybersecurity framework, so which has just changed today, I think. So uh, we need to actually update it. But... Um, it, the idea is that you have a you can change it as well you that was one of the new requirements that we've put in you can actually yeah. build your own so you can put in anything absolutely anything we use the cybersecurity framework and then we can map any control set to the bottom of that as well but the idea is that you can visualize what any particular part of your business looks like in terms of security and we've I think, you know, finally got to a point with it where actually I look at it and I go, yeah, this is this is actually what was in my head. Some bits of it have changed massively. So instead of having this thing that scrolls up and down through eight levels and boxes moving and changing as you scroll, I've just got breadcrumbs across the top and you click on it and it appears. And it's like, that's yeah. much neater than what was in my head. <laughs> and it's, so it takes the, uh, a developer who's actually worked on it to understand what what can work. So, you know, using people's uh, actual skills and specialisms for the right thing is quite important as well. And don't, don't rely on what's in my head is also a very important lesson. 
and being able to kind of, I suppose, understand the functionality with the, this new iteration is a lot slicker from client feedback as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, much, much slicker. Yeah, we're doing um, doing some piloting. At, well, we haven't started doing it, but we're going to be doing piloting with a, a small selection of elite clients, of course. Sales <laughs> um, yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, we're going to be doing that um, in the next uh, couple of weeks or so um, over yeah. September, um, and then have the the big release. So it'll be the kind of the two dot version, which will hopefully be a little bit more usable than yeah. one dot How obviously you you did that as part of your lockdown projects. What? Well, how did you find lockdown as a contractor, as a cybersecurity leader? Um, well, the reason I did that was because the the, the jobs market just wasn't there, um, particularly yeah. at the beginning of lockdown. I, I had two, three projects on at the same time. Yeah. And they all just dried up and disappeared. It was like, well, we'll call you when we need you. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, that's not going to work very well. And I spent a couple of months looking, trying to find something, nothing came up. So I put my all my efforts into Procore yeah. and creating this product, um, which was, I think, stopped me from going mad and probably stopped my yeah. wife, therefore, from going mad. And then, then bits of work started popping up, mainly because I was talking to lots of different people about what would good look like for this product you know lots of CISOs going around people I knew people who were friends of mine and then getting involved with yeah. what they were actually doing to see how we could help and it's like actually I could do with a hand doing some of this work so I had a couple of um, fairly sizable contracts come through that work although it felt a lot like business development which i'm not it's very client keen feedback on doing it's a lot of additional market work. market analysis <laughs> yes yeah yeah but, yes exactly but and and it's not my where i naturally sit at all right you know i'm, I'm much better at mm-hmm. kind of leading a program that kind of thing looking ahead and ignoring um yeah yeah exactly yeah, getting on with it, ignoring everyone else as usual. Yeah, so I mean, luckily towards the end of lockdown, I, I picked up a contract through my old friend Steve from Vodafone and went and joined him at Welsh Water because he moved back to Wales at that point and was working with them. And of course, it was remote, so yeah. I could I could do it from Winchester where I live. So that was that was great to be able to do something. I think that was a good thing with lockdown as well, though. Um, yes. We yeah. realised how, how remote we could be. Like, the thought mm. now of going to London regularly for 9am Yes, yeah. horrifying. horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I did it, actually. <laughs> it is a good point, because I woke up at, well, I woke up at 7, but I got out of bed about 8 this morning. <laughs> And I was like, God, I can't imagine being on the train. I had a really tough day yesterday. I had 12 calls back to back. And that is too much. My head was by the end yeah. of it, just exploding. And I went, I actually got in and I lay down half past five, woke up at half past eight. I was like, oh, <laughs> what, where am I? It's like a toddler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was, crying hungry yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> it was yeah yeah it was an old man that definitely um i but, have another yeah. nap regularly on a weekend yeah. <laughs> you need it I, I how, how, how could i do this before i used to get up at five and i'd be at the station at five thirty, and i'd get home at the other end of five thirty. you know the, the other yeah. five thirty in the day and and I'd stay away, you know, because I was I'd get home early because I had kids and yeah, spend the evening with them and then spend some time with my wife. Go to bed at eleven and I'd be up again at quite high. Just like how 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 is that possible? That's not maybe, maybe this different something else in the air now. Yeah, <laughs> we're all we're just so used to being at home and and being so homely. Um, yeah, well, was, I mean, to, to be fair, I did have high blood pressure then. I think I'm probably in a better yeah. place now. As, as, I think you, you were telling me last time the effects of the job and the effects of working like that did really take its toll on, on your physical health. It was, it was a tough time, that. Um, 
And part of that was, so, so it's, it's funny actually, where I've come into a, a slightly different role this time. So I've, in the la my last three kind of proper roles, um, so pre-pandemic, I was an interim mm -hmm. CISO. Post-pandemic, I was interim CISO at the same place. And now, post that job, I am a program director. Yeah. And the first time round as an interim CISO, I was really stressed. I mean, and that's when I was going in at 5.30 every morning and doing a 10-hour know, day and really just on it mm. all the time. And I had a couple of my friends from previous roles. I'd taken them in as architects and they were supporting me and they, you know, they were really good as well. And, but I, there, there was never a time where I could take my foot off the accelerator. And I, I did, I came away from that with high blood pressure. And my doctor said, you've really got to, you know, calm down or you'll end up in an early grave. I was like, okay, you know, young kids, wife at home didn't want to be in that position. And I thought, well, what can I change? Then the pandemic came along and changed it, and not particularly in a good way. It was quite stressful to be working through that. But then I ended up going back to the same place. And I, my wife said to me, what mm. are you doing? You know, are you sure? She wouldn't stop me, but she'd be like, you've got to make sure you're 100% sure of this because you know what happened last time. And I said, yeah, I am because I know what to expect and I know what not to yeah. do this time around. And I went back in and it was actually as I was leaving this time round, I was chatting with the CEO and he said to me, do you, what do you feel the difference between you being here this time and last time was? And I said, well, you know, you know, to, to be honest, I, there wasn't as much to change this time round, so I was able to relax a little bit more. There wasn't as much full-on delivery. And he said, I'll tell you what it was. This time around, you acted more like a sea level Last time, you were more like a director. And I was like, that's a really mm. good analogy. And as a director, you've got to be in there. You've got to know exactly what you're aiming for, and you've got to direct people to what the answer is and get out of the way and let them do it. As a sea level, you he always used the expression course and speed. You've got to be there to say, right, directors, you go and deliver over there and you do it to this schedule. And I will be there telling everyone how everything's going and tell you how to adjust that in line with the business and, and the plan. What have you. And, and the plan. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, and that's, the mental jump that I'd made, I thought, I I do not have to deliver this time. I don't have to be the one who's going, push, push, push over there. This is how we're going to do it. And actually, what I'd done the first time around was both of those jobs. And I, I remember saying, actually, to the guy I set up Procorder with, Phil, I remember saying to Phil that I'm doing two jobs here. And the thing that's stressing me out isn't doing one job or the other. It's doing, it's switching context yeah. all the time. And and I couldn't stop doing it and because I got used to it and I couldn't find anyone to step into either of the roles. Uh, and roll forwards a couple of years and I'm coming into a role to support a CISO who has walked into an environment and gone, this is too much for me. I need someone to come and do half yeah. of this role, which is the director role. So I've come in and she's absolutely bang on and she's doing that sea level role brilliantly and i'm there going all right over there go on everyone do thing and i don't have that stress of having to switch context yeah. all the time and it's so much less strain on me personally yeah. you know that 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 the thing that really hurts isn't there anymore and i've got you know loads of support from her i've got a brilliant team behind me and just getting stuff done so i'm actually able to enjoy it and i wish that i'd being able to see that 
when I was getting letting it yeah. get me stressed, you know, because that's the one thing I couldn't do: step out of it and look at. Sometimes it. when you're in it, though, you can't see the wood for the trees, can you? It's yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I had to just keep on moving faster, or I, you know, yeah, I'd, stop. I'd stop moving altogether. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 everything would come crashing down. Well, that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you because you see all the time job specs that say CISO, and it's not; it's a manager of, or it's a head of department. What, what in your yes. view is a CISO? What should a CISO be doing? You know, there's there's regularly different types <sighs> of CISOs, apparently. What's, what's your take? <laughs> Whatever I say, I'll get into trouble for <laughs> someone. someone. Um, what, it, what it should be... In your opinion. ...is someone who is, yeah, in my opinion. So if you're going to have a CISO, you need to make sure it's a C-level role. No point in putting mm-hmm. a CISO in place if you're not going to let them challenge the CIO, you know, report to the board, talk to the CEO, and and set up your corporate governance properly as well. It drives me mad when people don't have a risk function or they, you know, they don't have equal power between exec finance and risk. There's some imbalance mm-hmm. there, which means you're going to go wrong. This is what governance is there for. And also having a, a, a CISO should be in the risk space, not in the delivery space, really. Not in the, you know, of course, I'm delivering IT security at the moment, but I am very much focused on that delivering and the CISO is focused on the run side of things, which is, yeah. again, how it should be. But, yeah, the CISO should be sitting at the... The table with the execs should be, you know, they, they should have a, an amount of budget that they can sign off, which is commensurate with the role and their peers. And they should be able to yeah. make decisions based on their, their their knowledge, their profile, and you know, whatever else is required in that position. But what it shouldn't be, I think, is probably more, more pertinent, which is, it shouldn't be the person who comes in and and does everything. You know, you shouldn't be configuring firewalls or coding or you know getting yeah. involved in that designing the security architecture. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. You should you should have a team there to do it. Uh, and I've seen people comment that oh, uh, you know, it's not the same for all organisations. It's like fine, it's not. But then you're not a CISO. I'm sorry. You know, if you're yeah. if you are coding, if you are configuring, you, you might be a really competent head of some department that includes security, but you're not a CISO. And it, you know, yeah. crack on, call yourself a CISO, and maybe you'll get there. But it, it, you're not doing it, and actually, that will become obvious when you do step into a CISO role. You know, be careful yeah. what you wish for. And a lot of people have said to me in the past, they don't want to be a CISO or they get to that sort of role and realise, actually, I'd rather be back in delivery or back in the weeds, back in technical. What are the pitfalls of being a CISO then? What what are the pluses and, well, what are the benefits and what are the, the pitfalls? Autonomy. Why would one? anyone want to be a CISO? <laughs> I, I can't answer that. <laughs> There's no reason to be a CISO. I'm... Um, Obviously, I think you know, first and foremost, people want to do it because of the the kind of the kudos attached to it. It, it. it is a it's a good feeling to be a CISO. It's good to mix with other CISOs, and there's a relatively yeah. small community of CISOs, and you, know, you probably know fifty percent, if not hundred percent, of them when you get into that space. I think, obviously. What comes with that is a decent package most of the time. So earning yeah. potential, earning power is always good. And then if you're in the right place and if you're in the right position within a company and you have the right support, it can be very rewarding as well. Um, I've I've been lucky, I think, with the positions I've had and I've really enjoyed working with the people I've worked with. I know of other places and other teams which haven't had that even within the same company you yeah. know that where you've got a, a group function and a uk function i know other 
sub areas of that group where they haven't maybe been as happy about the way things have been run. But um, if you get the support of your peers and your superiors in in any role, obviously you're going to it's going to make you feel better and more satisfied in the job. But I think that's that's the that's the thing that I think most people look for is you know you, you need enough money to be able to maintain your current lifestyle or better. You need enough flexibility to be able to spend time with the people you want to spend time with and you need to enjoy working with the people you work with because you spend half your life doing it as it is and and it helps if you've got their kind of unconditional support then that really helps you get along with them and get on with what you're doing and and it is kind of I, I always when I go into a new role I'll always make it clear that I'm there to support the people that I'm working with. I'm not there to boss them around. I'm there to elevate them into the company because that helps me. If they know that I'm there to support them, then I will get that support back. So it's a much, much less resistance that way. If you're going in saying, I'll help you do it in the right way, but I, I basically want you to do it your way. Yeah, and getting that support is so important to actually getting things done. If you haven't got the buy-in, you haven't got the support, or you haven't got the buy-in from the board, it's just pushing yes. the wrong direction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say, I can't think of a, a point in my career yet where I've gone into a company and they haven't wanted to do anything in security. I think. It's often the case that when I've been brought in, I'm there because there is a need for it. And that's not that's not because I'm so great. It's because I'm a contractor and you don't bring an expensive contractor in to do something. You know, you bring a contractor in because there's an immediate need. And normally there's deliverables and there's, uh, there's a statement yeah, of work, exactly. hopefully. <laughs> right. right. So, so there's a, a defined need for that person to be there. So... You don't bring me in usually unless, to be honest, something's gone a little bit sideways and you need to correct it quickly. So, or in the case where I am now, there's this big thing that needs sorting out and it's been identified so you can hide it off as a piece of work. Have you purposely been a contractor? Have you, in your mind, would you never go perm? And is there benefits and I don't think I've ever done anything on purpose. <laughs> I've bumbled along and fallen into everything I've ever done. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's not quite quite bumbling. I've usually taken the route of least resistance. I took two steps into contracting. So the first time I stepped in was because there was a job locally. This was back in 2006, seven. There was a job down the road in Southampton that came up and it was uh, a brother of a friend was actually in a, the a similar role and I got in touch with him and said what's this about and he said oh I've sent us your CV and you know a couple of weeks later I was sitting in the chair doing the work and it was great because it was which was actually just before we no it's just after we came back from Spain it must have been because um, my wife was pregnant but then the financial crisis hit and I, oh. it was a financial services company, and all of the contractors were slowly disappearing off our floor. And I was like, oh, I can't do this with a, a baby on the way. So I jumped yeah. back into, um, into permanent work, and I, I jumped into Symantec, who who actually as a consultant. So they they pushed me out into lots of different places, and I ended up with a six-month-old baby commuting up and down to Hammersmith, which is a, you've got to go in and back out again. So two hours yeah. in and out. And it was, I was so tired. And um, I, it, suddenly they made us all redundant. And I ended up going to, to CSC as it was there. And I did a little bit of time there. And then I, a friend of mine who had been at Symantec asked me to go and work with him at T-Systems so it was a little bit more money had another kid on the way and I was like great I'll, I'll go and work with him and that was again great fun and then they made us redundant oh I was like how is this 
any better for me than being a contractor. And at the same time, I got asked to go back to CSC and redo, re-accredit the work. I was a class consultant, re-accredit the systems I'd done there the year before. So I went back in as a contractor and did that and then carried on. And I actually had, so when I was at T-Systems, a friend of mine I'd worked with a couple of years previous wanted to, he was being made redundant and he, uh, he said, what do I do? Yeah. I said, well, I know someone in Bristol who would give you a contract because I was still working with him. Um, it was uh, the merger of T-Mobile and Orange to become EE. Yeah. Or everything everywhere at that time. And the Orange side had a place in Bristol and they needed an architect. So I said, come on, come on work with this guy. So he, he did. He ended up doing that for a couple of years, and then he moved on to Vodafone. <laughs> so when I finished at CSC that contract, I said to him, "What do I do?" And he said, "Well, come over here. We need an architect over in Vodafone." And you know, kind of the rest is history. And I think with so, season contractors, that that's completely normal. Um, but it is, yeah. But how, so if somebody wants to be a contractor, how do they get into that network or how do we stop it just being a job for the boys network, as you called it? I'm using your words. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to stop it. No. Um, how do you change it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have used that pool of people mm -hmm. when I can and when I need to, but I, I also don't use that pool of people. I've just hired three people last week, none of whom I've met before, all of whom are brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I've done that just through the normal CV sift. Yeah. You know, we've got, a, got an RPO with Pontoon, and they've given me three CVs, and they were really good. Yeah. So I think that's the way to to to, to drive it. Um, You're always going to want to use people that you know if you've got a job for them though aren't you because they're yeah. a known entity yeah would you recommend contracting as a way of life for for people who are new into the field depends what you want i have stuck with it because it enables me to support a, you know, a lifestyle with three kids and a house in winchester which is pretty expensive i mean the, on the flip side of that you, if you did something in you know public sector for mm. 30 years uh, as a single job by the time you came out you'd have a final salary pension that would see you set up for the next 20 30 years i don't have that cushion yeah. I, i'm i'll be either relying on um my product business to work or a lottery win or you know yeah. <laughs> a wealthy uncle from overseas <laughs> so, so, uh, and you know I, I, I've given up all hope of retiring yeah I, I don't know uh, again it does it does depend on what you want out of it I, I like it because I like variety I like I like the challenge I like going into different places and applying knowledge that I've built up over 20 plus years of working in security on the other hand it's not very safe when you have i mean i was out of work for three months at the beginning of this year because again the market just wasn't there because of yeah. knock-on effects from the pandemic pandemic cost but, of living <laughs> yeah, insert yeah, crisis here pending recession <laughs> yeah, all of that yeah it's um it's been a weird market though hasn't it as a contractor and i suppose that's what you don't Very. get you don't get that stability yeah exactly you're you, it feels like you're kind of living by your wits a bit more <laughs> maybe that's the problem I, I've, I've lost my wits over the last year <laughs> <laughs> it, it's strange because these days a lot of your you're relying on your kind of your online presence a lot um yeah or your reputation uh and i always thought you know my I, I was relatively well known without being a celebrity i was known by my reputation amongst people in the industry but then you look at the people who are getting the top jobs sometimes and you think 
that person's got that because they're actually they're out there, not because they're particularly good or better than someone else might be. So I think you know, like like with all marketing, a lot of it mm. is just presence in the market. Um, and those networks. So I, and the network. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's an important message. If if you're just starting out, you might be like same back with that product. You might be the best products, but it's timing sometimes, and it's people knowing about you. Yeah, no, absolutely, hundred percent. I think at heart, I'm still that kind of IT techie person that started out 25 years ago, and I don't really like talking or putting myself out there and talking or showing off about myself, mm. even though I'm amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah I don't, no, I'm not comfortable actually going out there and saying, look at me, look at me, I can do all of these things, because it's like, well, why would you? you know, there's plenty of other people that can do all of these things as well. So just let, let the work, let the output do the talking. But... To be able to show that, you need to do, you know, for the second to be true, you need the first to be true a lot of the time, particularly now where everything's so much online and in your face and on LinkedIn, particularly for jobs. Yeah. You've got to try and stand out. Yeah. And also find out, like particularly that CISO opportunities or interim opportunities, it's normally something's Mm. gone wrong, which people aren't shouting about online. It's having (laughs) It's having that network and that's where... Yeah. whether it's club CISO or a different yeah. different whatsapp groups and i think i think yeah. i think a lot of business yeah, yeah. happens in whatsapp groups if i'm honest <laughs> I, I think probably most of it yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly over that pandemic time i think all of my opportunities came by whatsapp groups yeah and uh, possibly now they still are in fact i think which is which is crazy when you think about it yeah it is how the world is changing um like five years ago probably wouldn't have done as much business over whatsapp Um, you'd ring somebody Mm. now if somebody leaves me a voice message i'm like why are you leaving me a message voice text text me i don't listen to my voicemail i've got time for that send me a message (laughs) in fact i think my voicemail says please don't leave me a message message. (laughs) text me whatsapp me email me any of these ways i'll get through quicker um when did that happen? When did we start actually preferring to read instead of talking to people? Probably when we became so overwhelmed with all the notifications. Yes, yeah. Talking of that, I've actually got, I've had about five emails and three Teams messages since we've been. Oh. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, that's not a hint. <laughs> well, we, we are almost done. Um, my final question then, actually, I want to ask you two. I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you about now that you are a CISO, are you seeing more and more female CISOs coming through the ranks? Are you, or do you still think gender diversity is a problem in the C-suite? Uh, it'll always be a problem. Oh. But that's two or three questions as well. <laughs> um, I like to ask multiple in one. <laughs> diversity of all kinds mm-hmm. is still a massive issue. Uh, and it's a really difficult one to, in the UK, particularly because you look at the ethnic makeup mm-hmm. of the UK, and there's not a lot of they're called minorities because they are minority races. There's not an there's not a lot of mixing of. of of ethnicity in the UK in general, we are still a predominantly white society, which I think is probably makes us poorer for it because we don't have that other influence in what we do. Um, on the flip side of that, we definitely have as many women as we have men in the UK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we still don't, you know, we still have more women in the lower paid admin jobs, more men in the top paid uh, executive jobs and management roles. And for every excuse you can make, oh, women want to take time out to have children, well, men should as well. Why not? You know, and Mm. for all of those arguments that you can make against, there is an argument for. And 
there is absolutely no reason we shouldn't have complete parity there. Now, in tech roles, and particularly in security roles, there is, I think, a preference amongst the people performing them. I think you still get more men wanting to do it than women. And I don't think that is just because... I think there probably is a reason why men prefer technology than women prefer it. I think women prefer things which are uh, more visual, maybe more, you know, slightly different way of thinking about things, probably more conceptual. Men like things which are more logical. I definitely think that is something which is, which is true amongst, there is a gender difference mm-hmm. there. What it doesn't mean is that we should automatically exclude women from doing those jobs because men are going to be better. No, that's not the thing. Is true. women are have different ways of looking at risk as well. So when you look at governors, well, it, well exactly. Roles, so when you look at yeah, exactly. Look at the full spectrum of security. And actually, I think in the GRC roles, there's women are probably better in that all of those roles because you're you are more conceptual you're more about looking at a problem from all different sides rather than just going down something very straight and linear um when you look at things like the SOC where there's a definite process those I don't think I've I've yet to see a woman working in any of the SOCs that I've either built or designed or we're seeing it more and more um like from the work I do with Capslock, I, I do see women going into sock roles as long as they've shift patterns work for family life. But well, there you go. Mm. See, it's about family life, and it's like why, why, why can't the men have that as a constraint? Yeah, it's like that isn't a good reason. No. for me, that shouldn't be the case. Somebody else, somebody in her background, should be making allowances for her wanting to do yeah. that job. If it's actually because the, the makeup of men and women for some reason means that they're better suited. I think that's a different a different thing. And I and it that is just having experienced conversations, you know, interactions with people, seeing people over the years working in different areas. I think there is there's definitely, and I'm not saying a hundred percent of women won't want to do that thing i'm saying in general the more logical things uh, will appeal more to men mm. and, and and that may be towards an educational bias way back in the system somewhere that needs to be overcome but that means that is where we are now and that means that that is where my departments end up if you think people in c-suite roles now typically have done 20 years in industry maybe less maybe 10 but on average i would say 20 years in industry in 20 mm-hmm. years time if we're encouraging enough women diverse thinkers all you know if we're encouraging more diversity into the industry hopefully it'll be a better picture because i can i can think of straight off the top of my head hopefully it'll be there sooner than that i mean so I remember being at Vodafone and we had a female CSO and there was kind of murmurings amongst people saying, oh, she only got the job because she was a woman. And Vodafone had a policy of hiring women in senior roles and in tech roles if they could. And so, well, why are they being kind of prioritised over men? It should be the person who's most suitable for the job. And it's like, Okay, I I agree that the person who's right for the job should get the job, but for the last 200 years, men have been getting the job by default. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get people who have had, the, as you're saying, they had the experience to get there because that that experience hasn't been there to be got. So you, at some point, you're going to have to cross that chasm and stick someone in who, who might not quite have as much experience as the next person. But 
needs to be in that position to lead the way into the next generation. And that doesn't happen just by saying, oh, well, we'll wait another 20 years. It's it's positive discrimination. You go, right, sorry, guys, you've had your chance now. Here's, here's somebody else who's going to have a go. Yeah. Get in the queue. And, and like that I am seeing a lot more of. And in the exec roles, that's where you can come in and make a difference. So, yeah, I'm working for a, a female CISO at the moment, Holly, who's, who's really good. Um, and she hasn't been picked out because she's female. She's been picked out because she's really good at the job. So that market is beginning to, to change. And she hasn't come up through any technical roles in security. She, she's come up through kind of more of the, the softer skill side and the risk side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's really good in it, but she's a really natural leader of people. Um, she knows how to talk to people. She and and actually, I've I've really enjoy working for her because she's much much easier to get on with. I can be totally honest with her about absolutely anything without having to hide anything and just tell her the way it is. And I, and that is because she's a woman, so that works for me. I'd much rather have someone I can be totally open with yeah. than someone I feel like, oh, shit, he's going to scream at me if I say this. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think, I think on, the, uh, on the exact side, I think, I think men have got to watch out there. I think that people, you know, women are coming for the jobs and they're going to get them. And, and I'd, I'd really like to see a, a, a better balance of... of gender diversity and ethnic diversity actually. Yeah. Um, I was saying about the you know you look at the percentage makeup of of minorities in the UK and it, it's it's very low compared to, to white people. But I've got a very mixed team that I work with. Um, you know, these were the, the people that I've inherited, but I'm, and, and I think it's because I'm in Warwick, there's quite a large ethnic community nearby. But I really appreciate the fact that I've got that because it does bring different ways of thinking, and you can see that it's not everybody just saying, yes, we'll do it your way, yes, that's the right way. I get challenged on all sorts, I get new ideas. I don't get people just agreeing with mm-hmm. me because they think they should. And that's a much healthier way of running anything. I, I don't pretend to be right all the time or any of the time. I'd much rather people said, we're an idiot, we don't know what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Then me sit there and go, right, I've taken responsibility for all of this, so we're going to do it my way. And then it, it fails. So, yeah, all for it. All for any traffic diversity. Diversity of thought is very important. Yeah, and being able to challenge each other openly. Um, mm. And yes, that's, that's down safety, to culture. Psychological safety. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you had seen a stat somewhere. I've just quickly searched for it. Um, you're more likely to have a CEO named David in a company than to have a woman of any name. That, that was from a report um, earlier earlier this year david then yeah. michael um yeah that's that's from the world's that's from a thousand of the world's largest companies only 64 were female ceo ceo so um not that, that not that that makes it any better um, no no that's not, not a great start is it no well i mean uh, the the fact is that is starting to change. I hope that it will continue. A famous female CEO on here yourself, isn't it? I have, yes. Eliza was my first uh, was my first guest. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the more that women just pick up the reins and do this, I think the better it is. And don't don't worry about history. You know, forget about what people what what buckets people have put you in to get on and do it there's there's still a lot of prejudice out there and whilst I've got no time for it at all it's very easy I think for people just to slip into that and 
well, it works for me, so I'll do it. You know, the boys' club thing, it's, it, because it's there, it's easy, and I, it means I can get a job, great. But it's not fair in some cases to do that. You know. The thing is, it's natural. It's a natural instinct, not that it's a right instinct to, to always want to work with mm. people that you know. It's, it's being aware that there will always be new skills and new people who want to get into the mm. industry. And I know you've mentored for Capstock before. I really do mm. think that places like Capstock that are shining a light on cyber as an industry and bringing people in from all uh, all walks of life, all genders, all... Yeah, I mean, Capslot was brilliant. I didn't have a single white guy in my team. Yeah. In fact, I know I did, but he left. Oh, okay. I had one, and he left early, um, so I ended up with none of it. So it was like, I was talking to them, and I was thinking all the way through, I was acutely aware of the fact that you're listening to someone who doesn't represent you, in any way at all. I'm not the same colour as you. I'm not the same sex as some of you. <laughs> I've had a totally different experience that you, than you will have. I've been really privileged throughout my education, my upbringing, my career. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a tall, white man, middle-aged, middle-class, well-educated, etc. I've had a really big head start in life. You aren't going to get that, and you're coming to caps lock to try and get on the first run, whereas I was propelled probably onto the fifth run from my my privileged start in the first place. So now I look at it and I think, well, why don't I just give somebody else a, a leg up? Pull up. So I, I, do, I like to do stuff like caps lock just to be able to give some of that back. Mm. Um, it's it's becoming more important to me to give other people a chance now um, to doing other mentoring as well as some mentoring outside of, of Caps Lock. Um, and again, it's, it's difficult to tell people who don't look like you, this is, this is how it is, but you can still advise them how to get on in a world which is biased heavily towards people that do look like me. So. Yeah. The same as, you know, as as a white woman, I come with a lot of privilege. If you look at the C-suite that we know um, that are female, there's even less female ladies of colour. So final question with the podcast then. I like to ask this to all of my guests. Have you ever received a piece of advice that has stayed with you throughout your career? Or is there a piece of advice that you would like to give your younger self just starting out or starting into security or security management yeah I, I, I really like this when, when we did it the first time yeah. um because i really had to think about it and i was like oh no because there's, there's nothing that's really stuck out not, no little gem and then i remembered the person who said don't listen to anyone else's advice and it's that has been really true and i've said that I've kind of taken the route of least resistance. What I've actually done throughout my career is trusting my own gut feeling. Because, um, you know, you know what makes you tick, what makes you work. And I've taken jobs before because they're there and that hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I'm now at a stage where I know that if an opportunity comes up, and I feel uncomfortable about it, it's not going to work for me. And there's a reason. I just don't know what it is yet. If there's something I go, yeah, that's really good, even if it's mad, I will do it because I have confidence in it. And sometimes those don't work out either. And probably next time around, I'll be a little bit more cautious. So it doesn't mean don't take a risk on something. And I, I jumped out of a job that I like doing with people. I really like to take a job traveling on my own in an area I didn't know very well and it led to bigger things uh, you know I moved to Spain with my wife uh, to take a role I hadn't done and it was probably the best experience I'd ever had um, and these things felt right to me even though they were massive I remember being terrified of going to Spain mm. just not having a clue what I was going to do but thinking I'm going to take it one step at a time with with my wife and you know what what's the worst that could happen and it, it all went really well so 
you know, the things that didn't feel right were taking jobs because I needed to do it and didn't really like the people I was working with and, you know, things like that haven't worked very long. And actually, before I went to Spain, I was hanging on to a role where the management had changed and I was really uncomfortable with it. And I didn't really realise that until I was offered the chance to go to Spain and do something else. Yeah. And it was a massive relief. So it was like this... Yeah, there's um, a lot to be said for listening to your, your kind of your, your inner, inner mind and how it works because you know yourself better than you think. Yeah, and you know what's right for you. What's right for one person isn't going to be right for everybody. That's only you know what's right for you and the best environment to yeah, thrive. Definitely. I think it's important, though, when looking at jobs that you consider on paper this is shiny and great, what's... Mm-hmm. what's beneath that what's the actual third dimension to that what's the team what's the people yeah with jobs it's different interviews are i mean this is another piece of advice that you can take or not interviews are the, the chance for you to uh, interview the company not the company to interview you i think that's a, a really good way of looking at it and that's probably even more so mm-hmm. as a contractor because you're jumping in with both feet and you can't really jump straight back out again. It doesn't look very good. So you have to be 100% sure when you're jumping into a contract role. So ask the tough questions. What didn't you like the last time you went into something? What's going to be yeah. different now? You know, be, be as tough with them as they are with you. Because if, when I'm interviewing, I interviewed three contractors a couple of weeks ago, and the ones who were asking me that kind of difficult question back were the ones I'm going, yeah, this guy gets it knows what he wants and they're the mm. ones I ended up hiring and you know the one who actually said uh, it's not quite what you described in the interview can I have 50 quid a day more I was like yes well done yeah. <laughs> like, like, the ones who challenge the ones I like because I know they're the ones that yeah. come and stand up because you need yeah. that you know you need people who, who aren't do. afraid to ask questions obviously if and if you can get more money in this current day definitely try it's worth it yeah Um, absolutely yeah well that's been a really nice interview lots of pearls of wisdom there uh from you robert thank you so much for joining me on the be in cyber podcast thank you it's a pleasure you've been listening to the be in cyber podcast with rosie anderson Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed today's guest but if there's a story that you'd like to tell or maybe somebody you'd like to hear from do drop me a message. Please like and subscribe and share with your friends.